this evening as we come together again. It is truly a blessing, such a great thing in which you and I can participate to offer worship unto God. It really is a tremendous privilege and an honor, isn't it? We as the lowly creatures, and yet it's our privilege to offer unto Him the heartfelt worship that we feel. And aren't we reminded that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve? Those words of Matthew chapter 4, verse number 10. As you probably have noticed in the bulletin, but also on the wall to my left, we'll be looking for a few moments this evening at a lesson that, of course, has to do with the speaking of our Lord. At this point, certainly I'd say thanks to Andrew for sharing the lesson last Sunday evening, for bringing that to us, and the opportunity that's ours in every instance to appreciate messages from the wonderful Word of God. And yet, as we think about the spokesman of the Word of God, to whom should we turn in a greater way than that of Jesus? The lesson text of tonight was, Never man spake like this man. That alone would mean it's appropriate to think about what Jesus did speak and how He said it. Now certainly much more that might be said could extend into a number of lessons, but we'll look tonight at just a few things. These introductory thoughts will get us on our way. I would ask you to think for just a moment that as Jesus spoke, we so often find Him interacting with those about Him. At times it was individuals that were in great positions. On other occasions, it was common folk, perhaps not unlike you and me. And yet, as the Word of God records for us what He said and how He said it, so many times those are very telling things indeed. I would call to your attention verses 32 and 46 of this present chapter, John chapter number 7. In chapter number 7, verse 32, it says, The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning Him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Already by that point of the book of John, Jesus had spoken a number of matters, and quite often those things had been very much to the point where the people were garnering attention. They were, in fact, showing respect to what Jesus had to say. The gospel according to Mark informs us that the common people heard him gladly. Mark chapter 12, verse 34. Maybe in light of that, we notice that as these chief priests and scribes began to sense that, maybe a significant amount of attention would be shown to Jesus rather than to them. They sent officers, the text says, to take Jesus. They had heard enough to where they were desirous of arresting Him, or maybe we should at least say restraining Him. We'll find later in the text, verse number 45, it says... Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? We learn from that passage, these officers came to where Jesus was. They came and listened and observed and watched, but they did not take him. They did not restrain him. They did not arrest him. Verse 46 then says, The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. As these officers responded to the questioning of the Pharisees and those other chief priests, they responded, no one speaks like this man. Well, that is an introduction then. How did Jesus speak? That was so impressive, that was so overwhelming, that was so directed that these officers were, quite frankly, somewhat fearful to take him. They were overwhelmed with the understanding of the moment. As you come to the bottom of that slide with me, we're going to use that question to take us into several opportunities to think about the way Jesus spoke. First of all, 
from this very chapter in which we now find ourselves. We appreciate that the Lord spoke with an impressive degree of boldness. Would you revisit earlier in the chapter, verse 26, please? John chapter 7, verse 26. But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? The comment is made then on that occasion that as those were witnessing and as those were in the presence of the speaking of the Master, they made comment, He speaketh boldly. As you note with me, the significance, the meaning of that word boldly. It's an adverb, and in the original language, that Greek word has the thought of with confidence. It has to do with a sense of openness with respect to the subject at hand, and it has to do, and in fact, a very strong sense of confidence. Jesus, it would appear, spoke with a degree of confidence that was very much unlike the others that were common teachers of the day. Those that were, say, the rabbis or the recognized teachers, they didn't teach like this. Did you notice the way verse 26 ended? As that comment was made, it says, They say nothing unto him. That word they has relationship to the other recognized teachers and leaders of the day. They didn't teach that way, but they didn't question the Lord either. Apparently, his teaching was with sufficient boldness that they were not able to set it aside. They weren't able to retort against it. They weren't able to oppose his logic. I would ask you to think about how logical the Lord was in His teaching. Jesus presented the truth of God, and He did so with a logical exactness, a logical preciseness that confounded those of the day. How many times was it that they approached Him with the intent to entrap Him? They didn't like what He said, and so they sought to ask Him a question. They sought to present him with a circumstance that they thought he would unable logically to be able to get out of it. And yet every time he did. You and I can no doubt list a few of them almost immediately. You remember the scene when the Sadducees came to him as recorded in Matthew the 22nd chapter. It was there that they of course didn't believe in spirits or angels or the resurrection. They didn't believe in essence in things that would correspond to the afterlife. They presented the Lord then this set of questions. A man, of course, had a wife, but he died. And the old Leverett Law of the Old Testament asserted then that that man's brother needed to marry the widow and raise up seed to the deceased brother. And so they proceeded to relate this story. This particular woman had seven brothers in life, for every one of them died without bearing any children. Their question then to Jesus was, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? They no doubt felt for sure that they had Jesus on the horns of an unanswerable dilemma. And yet he very frankly just simply said this, You do greatly err not knowing the Scriptures and the power of God. They were mistaken and the Lord told them so, but notice he did so with boldness. He didn't equivocate, he didn't compromise. He told them that their understanding of the Scriptures was an error. What boldness. You might notice in light of that, we come to appreciate this all the while that Jesus made this statement and this description of Him in John chapter 7. The opening verse of that chapter says, They were trying to kill Him. Don't you suppose it would be reasonable to think that if you and I knew someone was out to kill us, 
we might guard our language rather closely. We might not say certain things, or we might say it in a very careful way. Notice as this same chapter began, Jesus, knowing all the while that they were interested in taking His life, and knowing all the while that they were interested in killing Him, He nonetheless spoke, and they even commented, Never a man spake like this man. Might you and I then be aware as we come near the remaining parts of that slide, we see a number of other precious individuals in the Word of God who were prompted to speak with boldness, who were prompted to speak with a very directed sense of urgency. In Acts chapter 14, in verses 1 to 3 of that chapter, as the missionary journey, the first one was underway, we find the information there presented to us that Paul and his companions spoke boldly. Now, you and I know well that the message they were carrying and the message that they were sharing was not well received by everybody. The Jews more than once ran Paul out of town for preaching the risen Jesus. More than once, Paul, in fact, his life was threatened, but yet he spoke boldly. Surely, in light of that, we might have noticed Paul's desire. Later, in fact, in Ephesians 6, verse 19, the statement is therein made that as Paul delivered to you and me that which we call that armor of God, we're told in that chapter to wear a number of things such as the helmet of salvation. And we're also reminded that amongst all that armor, Paul made a profound plea. He prayed, did he not, there in verse 19, that we, he himself and others, might speak with boldness. I'd submit to you, it wouldn't at all be inappropriate for us to pray that God might equip us with a sense of boldness so that we would be able with confidence to speak the truth of God. May I say that so many times others will be motivated and compelled to listen to those who with Scripture are able to speak with confidence. That gentleman knows the Bible. That lady is thoroughly conversant with the Word of God. Perhaps she has something that we need to hear. That's a very different thing than someone who says, I heard my preacher say, or I have heard it said through life, when it's clear that person doesn't have an understanding of or a thorough working knowledge of the Bible. Because of our knowledge of the Word of God, we too can be bold. Because remember, we're not speaking our suggestions or our opinions. We're speaking the, de the delivered and revealed will of God. That means we have every right to anticipate a degree of boldness and confidence. One last thought on that slide would be those appreciations at the bottom. Have you ever recognized or thought the number of ways in which this attribute of boldness is utilized to describe the life you and I can lead in Christ? The fourth chapter of Hebrews closes with a four-pronged attack that is such an array of blessings for a Christian. You and I can think about what all of them are. Verse 12, the Word of God. That verse says, The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What a great blessing then, but the next verse goes on to say, Verse 13, we have an all-seeing eye of our Heavenly Father watching us. I can't hide from Him and there's no point in trying. Look then at verse 15. We have a high priest who is perfect in every regard. Though he was tried, though he himself was tempted, he never sinned. 
that brings us to the closing verse to the chapter, verse 16. One other thing that can be such a tremendous benefit and blessing to a faithful life in Jesus, let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and receive help in every time of need. Did you notice how we can approach God in prayer? Boldly, confidently, resting assured that He will hear those that are the prayers of His children. And not only will He hear, but He's promised to respond. Our first point of the lesson tonight, Jesus spoke boldly. May you and I have an ear and a desire to do the same. How else did Jesus speak? Not just boldly, not just with confidence. What about this one? We also can so easily appreciate that our Master, our precious Master, spoke with a remarkable degree of discernment. What do we mean by that and on what passages might we draw that conclusion? As you and I think about discernment, you notice that there were occasions on which Jesus very clearly spoke with a remarkable degree of plainness. John 16, 29 informs us of that. The disciples approached Jesus and said, You speak plainly. But there were other occasions when the Lord spoke in parables. He spoke with a degree of understanding with respect to those that were listening and their degree or ability to appreciate that which He said. We are taught, are we not, in Matthew 13, that the Lord spoke with parables for a reason. He didn't just do it to confuse those who listened. In fact, that was never the point. Those who had a mind's eye for spiritual matters could appreciate the lesson of those parables. Jesus never taught to confuse anybody. He taught, to, in fact, to reveal the nature of the things of God. Sometimes there were those in the audiences, though, that had the power to take His life, and He knew that His time hadn't come. How many times do we remember Jesus said, Mine hour hath not come. He didn't need to be pushed to the cross sooner than the right time. He didn't need to be pushed to Gethsemane sooner than the right time. But when the time had come, then, of course, He would move in that direction. May we say then, Jesus spoke with tremendous discernment. As you and I develop that point, could we at least reflect on the effectiveness with which that was stated? Could you put yourself for just a moment into the position of the apostles? For this period of time, somewhat over three years, they listened to Jesus speak. There were times they heard Him speak with plainness. There were times they heard Him speak in parables. As you and I think of it this way, though, after the Lord died, what did they remember? The text informs us, then they remembered what He said and they understood the thoroughness of the message and by that point they were then well equipped to share the grandeur of it with others. John 16, 13 puts it like this. How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Now when the coming of the Holy Spirit and the guiding of the apostles into all truth, they, of course, had been equipped by the nature of what the Lord had taught and their movement by virtue of the Spirit, that they could then share the fullness of what the Lord had taught and do so with clarity, with proper discernment, and the setting forth of all of the features of it to benefit the human family. That's a rather incredible thing. 
I might ask you and me today, are there ever occasions when you and I should speak with discernment? I believe we'd all readily say, there are times, and it's safe to say, sometimes it's difficult in all the occasions to know it, but there are times when it's better to speak with plainness. Just like Jesus on occasion did, my friend, you're mistaken. I realize you may have heard someone say this, and you may very well have heard many of religious persons speak of it, but could I show you in the Bible where that's not correct? Would you mind taking just a moment and reading a passage or two with me to take the direct approach to helping this individual appreciate they may listen with kindness, they may not. On the other hand, sometimes the temperament of individuals is such that it's far better to take an approach whereby one speaks the truth but does so with a little less plainness but also with a gigantic degree of discernment. Understanding that a well-told appreciation, a record perhaps telling a story from the Bible so that they can think about something in a way they never would have appreciated it. It takes skill and it takes discernment to do this. Jesus was able to Can you and I remember that John 2.25 tells us Jesus knew the heart of every person. He could look into the soul of a man and knew what he was thinking, even if the man never said a word. That allowed Jesus to speak with a degree of discernment that was truly fantastic. Surely in those examples, look at how in the Bible we find instances of some of these things. We remember Galatians, the second chapter. There was a very notable gentleman named Peter. Peter made a mistake. In fact, Peter sinned, if we can be so blunt about it. And yet Paul says, I confronted him to the face because he was to be blamed. May we ask, did Paul beat around the bush? Did Paul, in fact, speak with a strong degree and high-minded tactfulness? Paul says, I confronted him to the face because he was wrong. May we ask, did that redound unto a proper response on Peter's part? It would appear that it did. Because later we find that same Peter who pronounced a blessing on this Paul and was thankful for his writings. We don't find a man that held a grudge. We don't find a man who in fact had a hatred toward Paul. Might we say it would appear that the direct approach that Paul made to Peter was the right thing to do. But look at the other example. What about the tender intercession we read about in the book of Philemon? We remember that rather impressive record. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He had in fact somehow made it free from Philemon's household. He ran away, but in so doing, he ultimately came in contact with Paul. We learn all of that in the little book of Philemon. Paul taught that man the gospel and converted him to Christ. Now the question is, what's the right thing to do? This man was a slave, but now he's a servant to the greatest master of all. Paul said the right thing to do is he's got to be sent back to Philemon. I wonder how the response was to be made. Paul said, I could command you, Philemon, to take this man back and treat him like a brother in Christ, but I'm not going to command it because I know you're a better man than that. I know that you'll treat him like a brother, not just as a slave because he is your brother. And I know in the tenderness of your heart, I don't need to say any more than that. I wonder how Philemon received that letter. 
Don't you know that he received Onesimus in exactly the way that Paul would have directly entreated him to, but Paul didn't need to command it because Paul knew the temperament of his brother. And he could speak in this kind of a way, in a blessed way, and to the great benefit of this man Onesimus. Notice the discernment then presented to you and me in the Word of God. Maybe one last thought would be there at the bottom. I suppose it comes with years of appreciation, but it also comes with a careful study of the Bible. What situations are better for plainness and which ones are better for tender intercession? May we say it like this. In Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Isn't that one of the most graphic and beautifully poetic verses in the Old Testament? A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. May I say to you that as you and I grow in our faith, we will find circumstances and our ability will heighten as you and I also can speak with discernment like Jesus did. So far tonight, we've noticed Jesus spoke with discernment. He also spoke with boldness. That is at all. How else did Jesus speak? We notice perhaps on the third occasion, we come to this one. The impressiveness with which He spoke with authority. My suspicion is probably you've already raced to that passage in your mind, but it's perhaps time to cast a little longer elaboration upon it. Could I invite you to think somewhat briefly about that unforgettable scene near the beginning of the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 3, we find that Jesus Himself was baptized. He was about the age of 30 when that happened. Luke tells us that much. And then we appreciate He very shortly thereafter began a public ministry. We arrive at Matthew the 5th chapter, which occurred relatively early in that public ministry. The Lord hadn't been preaching and teaching all that long. And yet He taught, arguably, one of the greatest lessons ever to be preached. None of us would deny that. It is one of the key sections in the, all of the book of Matthew. Jesus began with what we call the Beatitudes early in Matthew chapter 5. And throughout the course of that chapter and the two that follow... Jesus taught about any number of things, including how you treat your brother. He taught about how you should, in fact, consider your relationship to God. Don't ever just let your religion be something that's on the outside. Remember, to them He said, when you fast, don't just put stuff on your face. It needs to be a heartfelt rendering to the service of God. And when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left one's doing. Don't just do what you do so that others will pat you on the back and commend you for it. It needs to be an honest and earnest service to the God of heaven. As those three chapters roll forward, so many other matters were in it. And by the time we get to its end, we remember in chapter number 7, verses 13 and 14, He said, Enter at the narrow gate, the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Does that sound like a man speaking with authority? It sure does. Not many verses later, in verses 21 to 23 of that very same chapter, he said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. 
For many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I say unto them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Doesn't that sound like a man speaking with authority? It certainly does. No wonder then as Matthew chapter 7 closes, we have a powerful comment about those who heard that sermon. It says, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught not as the scribes, but as one having authority. Even the audience recognized it. Jesus didn't just teach like the common preachers of the day. He didn't teach like those scribes. He taught with authority. As you and I develop that perhaps a little bit more, you'll notice in light of that matter of authority, isn't it fascinating to consider again the way in which the Lord spoke? Now contrast that for just a moment to exactly what they did say. So how did the scribes of that day preach? We obviously don't have a lot of their sermons recorded for they didn't speak like Jesus and they weren't the Son of God. From as near as I'm able to tell, by looking at a number of the passages in which we do have the wording of the scribes, they tended to teach resting on the traditions of what others have taught. In essence, they'd say, our forefathers did it this way. You remember your ancestors did it this way. Rather than affirming what they asserted based on what God declared, they rested it on human opinion or the traditions of time. The Lord didn't do that. Jesus had the audacity to stand before them and say, this is what God decrees. As you think about some of the features again contained in that Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it hath been said, thou shalt not kill. Now they were very well acquainted with the Ten Commandments of Exodus chapter 20 and they knew that, but Jesus said, but I say unto you, He took that thing that they knew but extended it enormously extending it into the feature of the heart. If you hate your brother in your heart, you'll be condemned because of it. If you say, thou fool, Matthew 5, 22, you'll be hauled, in fact, before the tribunal of God. He took another one. You've heard it hath been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. This outward act of sexual infidelity. But he said, I say unto you, a man that looks on a woman who lusts after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. One by one, the Lord then reached down in the recesses of the human heart and said, This is the absolute decree of the God of heaven. He spoke with authority. May I submit to you as you look at the features at the bottom, He made it plain, did He not, in John 12, 49, that the source of that which He spoke was none other than the very nature of heaven itself. He said, I speak what the Father has delivered for me to say. Those challenging ideas, those rather interesting words bring us to the bottom. May we ask about an application. Should you and I speak with authority? Should it be the case that you and I can then speak to others with a degree of authority? And you and I know the answer, of course, to be yes. Because it's not our words that we say. When it comes to matters of religion... Our thrust, our mission, and our objective is to say, Thus saith the Lord. When you and I speak with someone about the gospel plan of salvation, we have every opportunity to speak 
with a resounding note of authority. Now, not a braggadocio thing, but rather to speak with authority, not equivocating and not compromising, because that's not behooving of the gospel. To speak with that degree of authority leads you to a few of these verses at the bottom. 1 Peter 4 verse 11 reminds not only those who would preach or those who would stand in a public venue and say preach or teach a Bible class. On that occasion, didn't Peter make the statement? And interesting indeed it is to speak as the oracles of God. Don't you love that phrase? To speak as the oracles of God. To not be interested in human speculation or human opinion or human assertion, but rather to speak with the confidence becoming of the oracles of God. Not only that, what about Colossians 3.17? As Paul addressed the church in Colossae, reminding them of a number of salient features of the truth of the church, he reached this point, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Did he not then say to them, let the word of Christ not dwell in a minor way, but richly, that is to say abundantly, Should that be any different for you and me? Should it not be true that our knowledge and our conversancy in the Word of God should be a rich and and vibrant thing? But go on to note this in the next verse. Verse number 17 of that same Colossians chapter 3. You and I realize on that occasion as Paul extended that thought, he was quick to say, Whatever you do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. Did you notice that there then can be a very very noticeable air of confidence, an air of authority based on the nature of the fact that we are not making the choices ourselves. In essence, we're simply following the dictate of the Bible. Those kinds of issues and those kinds of thinkings perhaps lead us to the last one. Again, we might notice it was directed to a gospel preacher. But there's a sentiment, there is a principle, a premise in it that it would seem to me is very valuable for each of us. That fourth chapter of the book of 2 Timothy begins like this. Paul spoke, did he not, about the nature of a coming judgment. He spoke about the fact that we will all appear before Christ. But then he said, verse number 2, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned into fables. Pausing at that point, we notice that they were admonished, or I should say Timothy was admonished to preach the word. His constancy in it was to be both in season and out of season. Maybe it's in light of that. Notice how verse 8 ends. Not only was this blessing vouchsafed unto Paul, but to all of those that love is appearing. I would say that includes all of us. We too then should have a degree of equipment with respect to speaking with authority. As you and I do that, what a blessing it is to appreciate that never man spake like this man in boldness. That confidence with which the speaking of Jesus was descriptive. And not only that, we also have noticed in this case, he spoke with authority. 
Why don't we look at another as the time allows us tonight? As we look at this one, I simply entitle it as follows. Did you notice some of the things about which Jesus spoke? It's certainly true that He did speak, in many of the parables especially, He would speak about things that were familiar, like sowing seed. He would speak about the reality of virgins coming to a marriage. They were easily able to understand and picture those things. He also spoke in Matthew chapter 13 about a net bringing fish in, and people could imagine and visualize it. But it's also true. There were many times that Jesus spoke about things that no human has ever seen. But He spoke about it with a clearness, with a plainness, as if He had seen it. That leads me to this entitlement. There were times Jesus spoke about things far beyond the mere capability of humans to know it. I wonder what that would suggest. And I wonder how they heard it who heard Jesus speak about that. Well, let's make these developments. When Jesus spoke about the reality of a place called hell, in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48, and when He spoke just as smoothly about the reality of a place of eternal abode that also is a place of sweetness and comfort, a place called heaven, He could speak about it because He'd been there. But He also knew there was a place called hell. And in Matthew 25, 41, he called it a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Here was one walking on earth. But he could speak about these matters with absolute knowledge because as a second member of the Godhead, he knew about them. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of someone and listening to them talk about after death and being enthralled as he scintillatingly spoke about this because he knew all about it? No wonder it was so impressive when others could listen and watch Him. You remember that scene in Matthew chapter 8 when He cast out some demons. Now they besought that they might be cast into that herd of swine, and the Lord prompted it to be so. And they ran violently down a hill and perished in the sea. I wonder those that had the privilege of watching that and listening to what Jesus said, do you perceive that He could speak then about things that He knew absolutely? Those demons obeyed every word He said. May I submit to you that as Jesus spoke about things like that, He spoke about what it's like to die. He spoke about what it's like after death. He spoke about what it's like to stand at judgment. All of that's found in John chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 25. He spoke about what it's like on that great morning of resurrection. He spoke about what it's going to be like for those who are not found faithful. He also spoke about what it's going to be like for those that are recognized as faithful servants of God. He spoke about what it's going to be like to be cast into hell and what it's going to be like to be allowed to enter heaven. Our precious Savior could speak about all of them, and He did so absolutely. One more time, could we say it like this? Never a man spake like this man. One last time, could we say, though, because Jesus spoke about all those things, you and I can too. You can teach somebody about the fact there's going to be a day of judgment. And it's not based on your own personal experience. It's based on the truth found in this book. You can talk to someone about what it's like to have sins forgiven. 
not because you dreamt up that idea on your own, but because you know this book teaches that. You can speak about what it's like then to understand the nature of the latter part of the book of Revelation, not because you and I have experienced that, but because we know well that God says it shall be. Could we say all of that then to say this? Our Savior came to this planet. He took upon Him the form of flesh, but all the while in His perfection He spoke in these multitude of ways. Never a man spake like this man. No wonder you and I can spend a lifetime studying what Jesus said and how He said it. And we're all the much better because of that study. And we can appreciate that as we learn how He talked and the way He talked, you and I can be better equipped to also speak with others and teach others and help others. As you close that slide with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and following, give you and me an impression about the blessedness of speaking on things like this. After all, isn't it true that heaven is such that eye hasn't seen nor ear heard the things that God has in store for those that are His children. Are you one of His children tonight? Are you a faithful member of His kingdom? If you are, may you continue to live that way until death shall come your way or until the Master returns. And on that occasion, of course, all shall be well with you at the day of judgment. But may I say that if all isn't well with you, if your life has been a far cry from what God would have it to be, you have opportunity then to come to Jesus. Sometimes we sing that song, Come to Jesus, come, come today. Tonight you have that opportunity. The plan of salvation is as follows. Jesus Himself commands, Believe in Him with all of your heart. Repent of your sins. Confess the sweet name of Jesus as the Son of God to be baptized. If we could be of assistance to you tonight in that way, remember the way Jesus spoke. If, though, you have been a Christian, but tonight you're not faithful, maybe you've done things and said things that have brought reproach upon you and upon the church and upon the Savior that died for you, why not this very night beseech God appropriately by asking us to pray on your behalf? We are told, aren't we, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that follows the statement to confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Tonight, if we could be of help to anybody in those ways or for prayers of strength, we'd be delighted to be of assistance to you. We've learned tonight that as Jesus spoke, it was a unique way of speaking because no ever a man had spoken like it. Tonight, because of the inspiration of the Bible, we can speak the way Jesus does, with confidence, with boldness, with an air of appreciation of those matters, of course, that may even be beyond the scope of human experience per se. All the while, trust that what Jesus said is true. And if we could help you tonight, why not come even at this moment while together we stand and while we sing?